Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. I've got an exciting guest for you today. I've got Scott Myslinski. And uh, what I'll do is I'll ask Scott to tell us a bit about what he's all about, where he comes from, and how he's gotten into where he is today. So welcome, Scott. Awesome. Thank you very much, Matthew. So um, thanks for the generous introduction. I'm the host of the Carnivore Cast, a podcast about the carnivore and ketogenic diets and lifestyle. Um, I interview researchers, scientists, um, as well as N equals one case studies. People have used a carnivore ketogenic diet to um, heal or help different health conditions, everything from major depression to PCOS Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, diabetes, you name it. Um, and I personally um, started a carnivore diet back in the fall of 2016. Uh, before it was it was too mainstream and before there was a lot of great information and books and resources out that there are today um, and found a lot of personal success with it. It, it helped my life in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I followed a strict carnivore diet for three full years. Um, no cheats, no no digressions, nothing. Um, and then I slowly started reintroducing foods over the last year or so, um, but still keeping up with the podcast, putting out an episode a week and really enjoying it. So how come you ended up being carnivore then? What, where was your path from, from your beginning? Did you start off really early as carnivore? I'm guessing not. Perhaps you started yeah. off with something else and progressed to carnivore. <laughs> take, take us on that journey. Yeah, of course. Um, so I like many others, grew up eating um, what's called a sad diet, a standard American diet, which is a lot of junk food, processed foods, um, you know, getting into middle school, high school and university. Um, I started rowing. I was a competitive lightweight rower. Um, and so that came with, um, you know, more carbohydrates, but also more of an attention on protein and whole foods um, and starting to eat more lean protein, animal sources, yogurts, things like that. So my diet did clean up somewhat, um, but still uh, very much, you know, doing a lot of cutting um, every week. If you've heard of sports like wrestling or other weight sports where, or, or MMA or fighting, when um, people have to cut a lot of weight, there's some dangerous practices involved there. And I think that led to a lot of hormonal imbalances for me and gut issues where I was restricting food a lot and then almost binge eating uncontrollably. Um, and so then coming out of university, when I stopped rowing for, you know, three, four hours a day, um, I wanted a way to stay somewhat healthy and stay in shape. When I started working a full-time job, 90 plus hours a week um, and traveling. And so that brought me to, at the time, um, you know, Tim Ferriss was very popular with his uh, four-hour body and the slow-carb diet. I was also a big fan of Mark Sisson. Um, and so I found kind of paleo and slow carb and started uh, eliminating grains and gluten and a lot of sugars from my diet and found a lot of success with that initially. Um, felt better, felt more energy, more full, um, and was able to stay at a relatively healthy weight. Um, and then I progressed, you know, following folks like Sam Feltham in the United Kingdom, um, who's part of the... Um, the health coalition there, essentially trying to change the government guidelines on, on um, food. And he had a channel called Smash the Fat on YouTube um, where he interviewed a lot of doctors and researchers. And so I found what was basically keto, although a lot of people weren't calling it keto at the time, um, but basically just eating lean meats um, and so, some, some non-starchy vegetables and 
maybe some nuts and, and almond flour and things like that. And then um, gradually, you know, I got more into intermittent fasting, eating just lunch and dinner, skipping breakfast, um, and then slowly edged closer and closer to keto. Um, and then was eating basically almost a carnivore diet with minimal vegetable matter. And then around 2016, I heard a podcast with Amber O'Hearn, who's um, a, a very well-known, very smart researcher in the carnivore space. Um, I heard her talking on the Two Keto Dudes podcast about how a lot of the research that um, vilifies saturated fat and cholesterol epidemiological research, which has a lot of flaws in it. It's basically looking at population studies and um, using correlations to draw conclusions, which, which has its flaws. Um, that same research is the type of research that was used to uh, glorify plants and talk about how healthy vegetables are and how vegetables are essential. And she said, you know, not only is there not great evidence that we have to have vegetables in our diet, um, there are a lot of reasons to believe they could even be harmful. And I said, you know, hey, this sounds really interesting. I'm already eating pretty close to a carnivore diet. Um, I would love to find a way to eat where I can eat as much as I want and not get fat. Um, and, you know, I, I had some of those gut issues, metabolic issues, et cetera, that I was trying to resolve. Um, and so I, I dove in, I tried it for 30 days. It was actually coincidentally around the same time Dr. Sean Baker was first trying carnivore and he was posting about it on Twitter. Um, and also I knew of uh, this guy, Ash Simmons from Australia. Um, he has his high stakes um, Twitter account and, and um, he has some, some great posts and scientific writings on ketogenic and carnivore diets. And so I, I, I had these people who I was following and, and getting information from, so I, I gave it a try. Again, there weren't the resources there are today on, on how to construct a carnivore diet and how to try it intelligently. Um, so I made a lot of mistakes, but despite taking a poor approach to it, I, I had some great initial results. I felt better, I had more energy, I felt more full, I was getting leaner, my gym performance was up, my gut, my digestion was better, um, I was sleeping better. Um, Etc. And so I, I continued with it and started to learn more and more. And then my girlfriend at the time, now wife, encouraged me to make a podcast, to interview other people about it. And at the time, when you searched carnivore on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, um, nothing came up except interviews on keto podcasts with people who are, who are carnivores. So I said, hey, what the heck, I'll make one just about the carnivore diet. And so have started interviewing people, did a few episodes and really loved the chance to be able to connect with the community more and give back in a way um, and have great conversations. So I've been continuing it ever since, putting out an episode a week, as I said, and uh, it's, it's just been a great experience. Wow, that's amazing. I think that even now that's the kind of journey that a lot of people go on, but perhaps they can fast track that a little bit. Cause like you say, you've kind of felt your way through and pushed this yeah. little bit there, pushed that little bit there to see what you can yeah. do, to see what you can get away with, with limited resources. Now there's obviously a lot more information out there and there's people like yourselves who have gone through that path. So can give advice to others. And you said about your podcast, which is amazing. I urge anybody to go listen to the Carnival Cast podcast because you've got so many exciting guests on there that just tell all their different stories as well, like yourself, you know, how they found it and how they are where they are today. And I think anybody who's listening to this, if they're thinking, you know, I want to be there, then perhaps listen to everybody and see where they've come from and the stages that it takes to get to where they are today. 
usually like you say, like, like you did as well, people start off with the keto style diet, trying to limit carbohydrates and limit sugars and that, but maybe they don't really know why they're going into the keto diet. Maybe they've seen it advertised or they've seen a particular celebrity doing it. And I think um, myself and, and perhaps you as well, what I try to get across to people is think about what kind of foods are nutrient dense. Think about what kind of foods are you're getting your vitamins and your minerals from. And then that could potentially lead you over to a more carnivore style uh, nutrition like yourself. Was that something that uh, was high up in your thoughts as you went along your process? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was looking for... Um... I don't use, I, I find the ancestral framework and evolutionary framework to nutrition really interesting, but I haven't leaned on it as much as, um, you know, thinking about foods that fuel my body, make me feel good, provide the nutrients I need without ill effects. Um, and I know that certain foods are harmful or make me feel worse um, and probably have deleterious long-term health effects. And carnivore, I think, is a fantastic elimination diet. And um, just as you said, it's filled with some of the most nutrient-dense foods. Um, when we look at both the, the quantity of nutrients and the bioavailability, the, the quality of those nutrients, animal foods are, are top of the food top of the food chain, um, for lack of a better expression. Um, and so that's really a great place to start for many people. And then, as I said, you can add in foods from there if you choose to, if you want to, if it makes you feel good and perform well, um, but you don't have to. Um, and I think that's what's really powerful about a carnivore diet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the courses that I run often are reset courses for people wanting to reset their diet to start off again with their nutrition to find a, a better path and a lot of the reset diets I do are carnivore style because like you say you're getting all your nutrients and all your vitamins in there um, straight away and you're giving your body what it needs um, things like organ meats I tend to promote a lot are you um, you know there's different kind of style of carnivore diets there's high fat carnivore diet low fat carnivore diet there's a carnivore diets that that do include organ meats and some that perhaps don't which which sort of one do you fall into there yeah no one in particular um, at least not for for others I think People need to find what works for them, what they find enjoyable, what they can adhere to first and foremost, and then um, what makes them feel best and what fits with their goals. Um, so some people do very well on a higher fat version of carnivore. They, they feel better. They have more energy. Their digestion may be better. Their body composition may be better. Others find the complete opposite. They need to really crank down the fat and dial up the protein to feel best. And then you know, similar, similar questions with things like organs. Um, some people uh, feel a lot better with them and, and there's reasons to believe that they're full of nutrients and they should be a, a central part of your diet and, or at least they're a good insurance policy for nutrient deficiencies. And there are others that say, I feel horrible every time I eat organs, they're disgusting. I can't find a good source for them. Why, why am I eating something that just repulses me? And I say, okay, great, you know, do what, do what works for you. Um, so I, I encourage people to, to do research, um, try things, experiment, really be, be honest with how you document your results, um, but don't try to copy and paste someone else's template. Yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, especially some athletes that I work with often say that they struggle with the high fat type of style diet because 
they struggle to burn it. They struggle to burn it off and they end up tapping into the protein. So then we try and introduce some carb more carbohydrates, more real food carbohydrates into the diet. I know yourself, even when you was carnivore, that you experimented with a high carb diet, didn't you, for a while? So talk us a little bit through that, why you decided to do it and, and what happened. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I actually have been eating more high carb now lately, um, even post that experiment. Um, but a lot of it was to see, basically, I, um, I've struggled with sleep my whole life. I've been a very poor sleeper. And um, one thing I found on the carnivore diet in particular, I have a very high metabolism. So I'm you know, 78, 80 kilograms, about 170 pounds for, for folks on, on the imperial system. And I need about 4,000 calories a day just to maintain my body weight. Um, and and uh, so what that means um, is, uh, and so in terms of carnivore, if, if you only have two macronutrients available, really fat and protein, right? Um, past a certain point, protein isn't really useful. Um, it's not a great energy source. It takes a lot of work for our body to turn protein into energy. I don't think eating a lot of protein is like eating glucose. It doesn't dump into your bloodstream through gluconeogenesis. It's just that if you don't have other energy sources, your body is forced to use the protein for energy in the absence of anything else. But that's a metabolically expensive process and you're much better off using one of the two fuel sources that are much more easily available, either fat or carbs. So a lot of people will say, you know, you need a gram of protein per pound of body weight, or some people say even less. Um, so let's say we're being generous and maybe I could eat a pound and a, a gram and a half of protein per pound of body weight. So maybe I'm at about 250 grams of protein. That's a thousand calories. That means I need to get 3000 calories from fat just to maintain my body weight. Um, that's a lot of fat. And what I found, uh, I'm just doing some quick math, 3000 divided by nine, that's over 300 grams of fat a day. Um, so I need, I, I personally can't tolerate more than 150 grams of fat a day on a long-term basis. I've tried high fat carnivore. I've tried it a million different ways. I've used raw beef suet. I've used different oils. I've used just fattier cuts of meat. No matter what, I feel great. But after two to three weeks of doing higher fat carnivore, I get terrible um, bloating and, and gas in my stomach and belching in the middle of the night, far away from meals. It's almost like um, GERD-like symptoms. And it, it's, it's, you know, I'll have my last meal at like 2 p.m. And at 3 a.m. in the morning, in the middle of the night, after two or three weeks of eating high-fat carnivore, I'll just be endlessly belching. It's really uncomfortable. It's horrible. Um, and so... That I found my maximum is about 150 grams of fat. So that's like a thousand calories. So that means I need to be getting all the remaining calories from protein. If I can only eat a thousand calories of fat long-term. So what's the alternative? I have to add in some carbs, right? Um, and and I, I've done the really, really high protein carnivore approach and I feel pretty good on it. I can motor along on it, but you know, having that much protein also has negative side effects having that much protein makes you pee all the time. You're really hot. You're always sweating from the thermogenic effect of protein. Um, so I, I started introducing carbs. I started with 
um, what I thought were very benign sources like honey and um, low sugar fruits and white rice and things like bananas. And I was just doing like a very small amount. And what I would do is I would introduce one carb source at a time, not just like fruits, but like one fruit, like just bananas. And I would do three days where I had one banana at a meal. And then I would sit, I would track my satiety, I would track my digestion, my energy, um, my mood. And then on the fourth day, I would reset and I'd go back to carnivore. And I did that over the course of a year with a bunch of different foods and found the ones that worked well for me and the ones that didn't, the ones that caused, you know, blood sugar swings and mood swings and digestive upset and the ones that didn't. And gradually, slowly but surely, I, I've been able to reintroduce a lot more of these foods into my diet. And I still, you know, prize animal nutrition and think of my diet as meat-based, but I'm not strictly 100% carnivore at all. And the podcast, by the way, has never been about what is Scott's diet lately? What is Scott eating this week? It's always been about the guests. I try to focus it on the guests, whether they're presenting research and studies or they're presenting their own story and their own way of eating. Um, so I don't think it prohibits me from being able to continue the podcast if I'm not eating 100% carnivore myself. Um, but I like to be transparent with people that like, this is the roadblock I came up against on carnivore. Most people don't have this because they don't need 4,000 calories a day, um, but I did. And so that's kind of where, where I went with it and why I tried higher carb. That's great. I, I do think at some point, whether you are strict carnivore or not, I do think at some point you have to address the energy balance. I know you've had Dr. Paul Saladino on your podcast. I listen to him yep. a lot as well. He's again, another carnivore that's been carnivore for a long time and started now to introduce carbohydrates such as honey and berries and, and fruits and things into his diet as well. Because if I always say, if you are looking to protein for your energy source, then there's something wrong. You're doing something wrong because like you alluded to at the beginning there, Protein is very expensive. You, it, to get energy from protein, it's very expensive from, for your body. It is a process called gluconeogenesis. I think you mentioned that. And it can be done, but it's really a survival mode type of thing. You don't really want to be doing it. So if you are struggling on a carnivore type of diet, or if you're struggling with a high fat type of diet, then perhaps like you say, it might be time to introduce those carbs in there. And I really admire your approach. You, you really went strict on it and said, right, I'm going to introduce that one fruit for so many days. And a lot of people won't be able to do that. And it's yeah, a great yeah. way to do it. I mean, uh, I really admire the way you've done that. Thank you. Um, so does do things like um, caffeine, coffee, and uh, that feature in your diet at all? Yeah, great question. And, and thank you for the generous praise. Um, so I actually stole that that reintroduction method from the whole 30 method. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's another form of a quasi elimination diet, although I would say they don't go far enough with eliminating foods. Um, but that's how they, they recommend reintroducing foods. Um, so for me, caffeine, it's really interesting. Um, I was a huge coffee snob, coffee lover. Whenever I traveled, I would go and try to scope out the best coffee shops, try to find certain brands of coffee, types of coffee, different beans. I was into all different brewing methods. Um, and I basically found that going on the carnivore diet, my sensitivity to caffeine increased dramatically. Whereas previously, one to two cups of coffee a day would be great for me and keep me at that high energy focused level. All of a sudden, one small cup of coffee and I would be bouncing off the walls like jittery, like almost couldn't focus. 
and a lot of people find this, and I think it could be a few different things. One, um, I think, you know, on a carnivore diet, you already naturally have so much energy that you don't need the coffee, but also I think it may have something to do with stress and cortisol because you're in this really, um, sometimes a lot of people on a carnivore diet are in a calorie uh, deficit and they don't even know it. So, so they're, they're under eating, but also you're under eating energy sources. Like you said, you're under eating fats and, and, uh, and carbs usually. Um, even when people think they're eating a really high fat carnivore diet, a lot of times they're not because they're cooking off a lot of the fat and they're not paying attention to that. Um, but anyway, so you're in this low energy environment your body is hyper aware. It's almost like fasting. You're, you're, you're really high energy, high strung in an almost unnatural state, you're supercharged. And then when you have coffee on top of that, it's like you're, you're bouncing off the walls wired. Um, and, and people also report, you know, waking up early on carnivore and saying, I have so much energy and I wake up at 4am now. And I'm like, that's probably not a great thing. It probably means your cortisol is through the roof. Um, so I was starting to find that with caffeine on carnivore. And I also had a 23andMe DNA test done. Um, and there's this interesting gene for caffeine metabolism. Um, it's, it's called the CYP1A2 gene. And it basically tells you if you're a fast or slow metabolizer of caffeine. So people may have heard that caffeine's half-life in your system is six hours. So if you have a cup of coffee at 9 a.m., by 9 p.m., roughly a quarter of that milligrams of coffee is, is still left in your system. You know, maybe it's a 200 milligram cup of coffee, 50 milligrams is left. And there's also the adenosine has built up in your system, which creates sleep. So, so you fall asleep. It overrides the amount of caffeine, but that's in a population average. There are certain people who are slow metabolizers of caffeine. And I, I, I haven't been able to find a lot of research that quantifies how slow you can be, but I think there's one study that shows that it can be up to 24 hours or even longer. So if you have that cup of coffee at 9 a.m. of 200 milligrams, by the next day at 9 a.m., you still have 200 milligrams in your blood, um, or, or you only have 100 milligrams in your blood at that point. So, so I, I'm a slow metabolizer. I have the double rare gene for, for really slow metabolism of caffeine. Um, and uh, I, I promise this is answering your question. Sorry for the side tangent. Um, so I, I found that out and I was like, oh, geez, you know, my sleep is horrible. Maybe if I just cut out caffeine, my sleep would be much better. And lo and behold, with using like an aura ring for tracking my deep sleep, when I started taking out the caffeine, um, my sleep improved dramatically. Um, and what I did is on carnivore, I was drinking hot coffee and then the acid became too much for my stomach. And so I switched to cold brew, which has a lot lower acidity. And then eventually I switched to caffeine pills, which have no acidity. And so it was very easy with the caffeine pills to cut them in three quarters, then half, then a quarter. And I did that over the course of like three days each. And slowly I eliminated coffee without any withdrawals, no headaches, nothing like that. And I haven't had any caffeine now in uh, three years, I think. And I feel great. I wake up energized. I have energy all throughout the day and my sleep has improved a lot too. So I think a lot of people, it's really hard to give up that cup of coffee, but sometimes you need to. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to say because um, I did do my analysis quite a long time ago and I, I found out that I was opposite to you. I, I was actually a fat metabolizer of coffee, and which are quite lucky in that way. But even still, I found that limiting coffee or having decaf coffee 
um, I felt much better. Like you say, I felt more energized in the morning, things like that, because because of the cortisol rise just before you wake up. People don't realize that your cortisol rises straight away um, to wake you up in the morning. You know, so then if you go and then have a load of caffeine on top of that, <laughs> you're going to have a crash straight after. So, but if people can think about how they feel and, and if they can start to just like yourself, perhaps take caffeine out of the, out of the diet, limit it to decaf, because nobody's going to go out there and um, very limited people are going to go out there and do the tests like, like we have to find out if they're slow or, or fast metabolizer of it or not. So the best thing to do is to feel it out. I think, you know, um, change to decaf, you know, or, or like you say, just limit yourself to the amount of cups or even something like perhaps people have a later cup in the day, something around about tea time. Well, make that more noon, you know, make sort of a dinner time, your last cup and, and see how you feel, see what the difference is. And I think a lot of people will be surprised out there how much caffeine is having an effect on their lives. So that's that's great. And please, please, you said that. Um, another yeah. thing that, that I, I wanted to ask you about was dairy produce, because um, dairy produce um, such as, as cheeses and, and milks and things um, feature a lot. I, I try and introduce them to people, but I do understand that there's a lot of intolerance out there. And um, having spoken to a lot of professionals and, and a lot of people with their own spin on it, it seems that it could be genetic um, but it also could be epigenetic, um, the way we've been brought up and, and things like that. So how does dairy produce fit into to your nutrition? Yeah, uh, great, great points, Matthew. I think um, dairy is interesting because I believe it's one of the highest um, foods that people have allergies to. It's one of the most common allergies is dairy. Um, and a lot of people are lactose intolerant. And also a lot of people who aren't lactose intolerant just get bad inflammation symptoms, upset stomach, acne, swelling, water retention, etc. from eating dairy. Um, and then another problem with dairy is the casomorphines um, can be really addictive. <laughs> um, I think it's something like two thirds or three quarters of people um, have a gene where they just literally can't stop eating certain forms of dairy. There's no satiety in it for them. Um, and, and I think I'm one of those people, you give me a block of Gouda cheese, I'll just eat the whole thing. Um, and so I, I think dairy can be problematic. The thing is dairy is really high nutrient density. Um, it has a fantastic amino acid profile. It's high in vitamin K2, high in calcium. So there are a lot of good things to say about dairy. But I think really people have to test it for themselves and see if the pros outweigh the cons, um, both in terms of nutrition and in terms of satisfaction. Uh, but you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of people in, in the carnivore community and keto community find just cutting out cheese to really make the diet easier for them to adhere to, um, which is a little bit ironic because you'd think it would make it harder to adhere to. Um, but it, it, it's it's just makes it easier for them to. Um, you know, be strict and not overeat um, and feel better. And a lot of times inflammation type symptoms go down. So um, I think people need to test it intelligently, systematically. And it sounds like you do that with, with folks you work with. Um, that's my overall view on dairy. Yeah, I think it's similar to the, to the caffeine. I think, like you said, your body becomes a lot more sensitive when you take out all those pro, uh, processed foods 
and all the high carbohydrate and, and uh, refined sugars and things like that, your body becomes more sensitive to things and you can start to feel things more, like we said about the caffeine. Also, I feel it's the same with the dairy. So perhaps you didn't even know in the past that you was maybe having a reaction to it or you was maybe uh, okay with it, perhaps. Um, but once you clean up your nutrition, go more animal produce, go more nutrient dense, look into things that could be more real food way of eating, then you, I feel your body becomes more sensitive to these things, more sensitive, more sensitive to sugar for one, which is great, more sensitive to dairy and more sensitive to caffeine, like we mentioned. Uh, now, one thing I wanted to ask you about with the carnivore diet is something you hear a lot from people who are not really in their know, they're just on the fringes. And, and once they hear that you eat a lot of red meat and you eat mostly animal produce, the big thing that they say is, well, what about your cholesterol? So <laughs> what kind of answer do you have to those people? Uh, <laughs> it's a great, great question. Um, I usually, when I'm in ca casual conversations with people, I just say, my cholesterol pro profile is great. What's yours? <laughs> um, and I share my numbers, which is, you know, I have a very high HDL. I have rock bottom triglycerides. And then my LDL is in range, but I don't think LDL even matters that much. Um, a few things to know about cholesterol. One, uh, Dave, and I'm not an expert on cholesterol by any means, but Dave Feldman is um, he, he has the website Cholesterol Code. Um, Shoban Huggins, who's been on my podcast, is also an expert in cholesterol. They're deep cholesterol researchers. And then there are a lot of doctors like Dr. Brett Schur, who's a cardiologist um, who I've had on and, and others. And, and a lot of the things, a few points they make is one is cholesterol is a snapshot. And so a lot of times doctor will check your cholesterol once and then try to put you on a statin, a, a cholesterol lowering drug for life, which is very dangerous because your cholesterol can change many times throughout the day and it does. And uh, these experts have shown that you can manipulate your diet purposefully to raise or lower your cholesterol. You can fast for a very long time and then eat a ton of um, calorie dense foods, refeed essentially, and your cholesterol may drop. Um, or if you do the opposite and, and you're losing weight and you're fasting, your cholesterol may increase in your blood because um, essentially your, your body needs to mobilize more, more of the fat for, for fuel. Um, so it can be very dangerous to just trust a one-time snapshot cholesterol number. You want to take it consistently. You want to take it fasted in the morning without coffee. You want to make sure your diet is consistent in the days leading up to the test. So that's one thing. So, so first of all, the data may be bad. Second of all, the data on the research on whether cholesterol is bad for you, um, a lot of it is inconclusive and a lot of it shows that, for instance, um, you know, folks who have heart attacks are just as likely to have high total cholesterol or high LDL as low total cholesterol. It's like an even split. Um, and so, so a lot of these markers and, and then their risk factors, particularly in women associated with low total cholesterol, um, higher risk of depression, higher risk of mortality, um, higher risk of bone fracture, um, and, and in men as well. So, so really you have to look at the wider picture of cholesterol. Um, but in general, I think it's, it's, it's a health marker to keep track of, to track it in the right way. Um, and to be conscious of which numbers matter and don't matter. I think triglycerides is the most important. That's a marker of inflammation. And having low triglycerides is generally a good thing. And then HDL is generally a, 
you want it to be higher. It's protective. And um, the best way to increase that is through exercise, ironically. Um, so diet doesn't really have a super dramatic effect on, on HDL. Um, and so I, I think it, it's, it's important, but it's also important to know that like, there are a lot of myths out there, like cholesterol in food does not turn into or translate to cholesterol in your blood. And cholesterol in your blood doesn't necessarily translate into cardiovascular disease risk. Uh, so th there's, there's a lot more depth to that story than, than some people are aware of. Yeah, that's right. It's the same as uh, similar lines to fat. Everybody thinks fat in food turns to fat in your body and it totally doesn't do that. But I think to have cholesterol just as a headline type of thing, if you actually asked people what cholesterol was and how to break it down like you just did, a lot of people won't be able to tell you that. Some people perhaps don't even know what an LDL, HDL or a triglyceride even is. I mean, the subject dives really, really deep if, if you want to go into cholesterol. But I think it's something that... If you want to keep track of it, fine, keep track of it. But unless you see a problem, unless somebody tells you there's a problem between your ratios of, of HDL to triglycerides, unless you struggle a lot with it, unless you get a lot of blood tests and there's markers that scream out at you, then I don't think you have to worry about cholesterol at all, especially if you're on an animal produce that's not going to give you any type of cholesterol to worry about. Like you say, if you exercise, if you eat real foods, then cholesterol is not going to be anything to worry about. So I'm pleased you, you spoke about it like that. I mean, earlier on, you spoke a little bit about protein and how much protein is really, really good to have in your nutrition. And a lot of people tend to think if I eat a lot of protein, then perhaps I'll get a lot of muscle or especially women. Some women I speak to say, oh, I can't eat a lot of protein because, you know, I'll get a lot of muscle and I look really bulky. I'll say, no, that's not that's not the way it's done. But how important is it to have that protein in your nutrition? I mean, we spoke about the fact that you still need the energy there. You still need that, the, the fat and the carbohydrates for your energy. But how important is it to really, really make sure you've got that protein upped and as high as you possibly can in your nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. Protein's essential. Um, it's an essential building block for, for our bodies. It's not just important for muscle. It's important for brain health. It's important for bones. Um, every part of your body grows out of protein. It's, it's building blocks, you know, your hair, your skin, your nails, your eyes, your teeth, um, all of it requires protein. And, you know, you, eating low protein comes with a huge amount of, uh, downstream consequences, um, you know, malnourishment, uh, having less lean, lean body mass, which is, is directly correlated with mortality. Um, so you want to really be maximizing your protein and you don't need a ton. You don't need um, to be taking protein supplements all the time. Um, like I said, a, a good general baseline is a gram per pound of body weight or, or about two grams per, per kilo of body weight. Um, but, but that's essential. I think a lot of people under eat protein. Um, but yeah, some, some of the myths you raised are very common. Like, uh, will I get bulky and too muscly if I eat too much protein? And no, that's absolutely not true. Um, if you, if you want to look muscly or if you're concerned about look, looking too muscled, 
Um, that comes from exogenous steroid use and anabolic use. That's not um, something that will naturally happen even if you're eating super well um, and exercising and lifting weights all the time. Um, you're much more likely to look fit and toned um, and, and you know, your, your body produces certain hormones and has certain set limits on it that won't allow you to just endlessly grow muscle. Um, so that, I think that really shouldn't be a concern. And um, I think just trying to base every single meal around protein is really important for, for managing your appetite, for managing your blood sugar, for managing your insulin resistance. So no matter what I'm eating in a given meal, I always eat protein and I eat protein first. And that's the basis of my meal. Um, I would never go and just have a piece of fruit or um, a fat source without protein. I think it's really essential and everyone should be, that's, that's the number one check mark everyone should have um, when they're thinking about their plate. That's great. I feel like you've been uh, reading my website there because that's exactly what I say. I say, when you that's look great. at your plate, when you look at your meal, when you look at whatever it is you're putting in your mouth, think to yourself, have I got the protein here? Is it mostly protein? Because that's where, again, your nutrient density is going to be. And that's where the building blocks are going to be. And as well, even if you are training a lot, doing a lot of strength training, eating the correct amount of protein, then don't be scared if you start to tone up, if you start to in incorporate more muscle into your body and, and even perhaps gaining a little weight because the muscle is the thing that's going to increase your metabolism there it's going to help you to burn the body fat if that's your your goal so don't be scared of protein at all that's what we're saying and make sure you incorporate it in in every meal um what you touched on it a little bit earlier about uh, intermittent fasting is that something that just sort of came to you when you got onto the carnivore diet was it just something that happened or did you actually go out there and seek fasting as a thing yeah so i happened upon intermittent fasting far before I found the carnivore diet. Um, so for me, it came first. I think most people, I'm not a fan of chasing fasting or imposing a fasting window. I think people should eat when they're hungry um, and stop when they're full. And if you're starving, you should eat. It's your body sending you an important signal, um, it, especially during the day or when you're active. Um, at night, it may be beneficial to, to fast and turn off, um, you know, let your body kind of digest and not need to send all that blood to your stomach and focus on digestion. Um, but I'm really not a big fan of intentionally imposing fasting. I did that because it was kind of, you know, a hot trendy fad back in 2014, 2016 days um, with things like lean gains and Martin Burkan and um, these different intermittent fasting protocols. Uh, but I actually found that that I was talking earlier about the cortisol piece I think that was raising my stress levels and putting an undue stressor on me, um, fasting all the time. So now I try to make my biggest meal of the day, my breakfast when I wake up, actually, I don't think skipping breakfast is good for most people um, because you, you can get your body into a rest and digest mode easier. If you start your, start your day with a big meal and then you have that energy for when you're doing uh, most of your work, most of your activity. Um, throughout the day. And then at night is actually a good time to not have food because having big meals can interfere with your sleep. Um, so I try to bias more of my food towards earlier in the day. I'm not a huge fan of big fasting windows. And I think a lot of people are trying to combine carnivore with cutting with 
um, intermittent fasting, with CrossFit and intense exercise, with a stressful job, and you're just stacking these stressors on top of each other, and that can lead to really, really poor health outcomes and, and this vicious cycle. Yeah, that's great. That's what a lot of athletes that we work with, and, and if there's any athletes, and I'm sure there is listening to this podcast today, that's really what you have to be careful of because exercise anyway is a stressor on your body. And then if you're introducing fasting on top of that as well, and if, you, if you're into cold therapy or any, any other thing like that, then you just add in stressor on top of stressor. And one stressor is enough for the body. The great stressors are great, acute stressors, you know, brilliant for the body. Exercise, intermittent fasting, cold therapy, whatever it is you want to do, great for the body. But, but you must be careful not to stack them on top of each other, else uh, you will have, it will have negative effects down the line from there. And I like the way you say you front load your day in a way you have your breakfast and then perhaps a, a lunch meal. And then that's got to help with your, your sleep. So anybody struggling with sleep, I will say perhaps you're eating too late. Perhaps you're having a meal too close to, to your sleep. And also it's it's kind of flipped on its head what a lot of people do. So a lot of people who are picking up the 16.8, let's say, or an 18.6, anything like that, they'll wait a long time through the day and especially new people who are new to it will wait and wait and wait and fight off the hunger because they're watching the clock. And what I'll say is what exactly what you said is, look, if you're hungry, you need to eat because that's your body signal saying, look, I, I'm, I'm depleted here. I want something, need it inside me. And it, usually it will, if you are on like a carnivore diet or a keto diet or anything like that, it'll try and tap into that protein, which we said earlier on is not great. So if you're feeding your body when it's hungry, then it's using those energy sources and you'll tend to naturally find where you sit. Some people will say, I can't have my breakfast and dinner like, like yourself. They'll say, I prefer to eat later on and that fits their lifestyle. But some people like yourself will have um, breakfast, dinner, and then fast the other way around. What I tend to do personally is I tend to do a mixture of both. Um, so through my week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I tend to not have my breakfast and it works because I've had a decent weekend. Um, and then later on in the week, I'll perhaps do it the other way around and, and uh, eat breakfast and, and fill up that kind of day. So that's just what works for me. So it's great for people to experiment with it and see what works with for them. Uh, the, the, the one thing that I often tell people as well, especially athletes and, and people who are new to it, is to not be scared of salt and perhaps to add salt to their drinks, to salt water, um, clean electrolytes, things like that. And, and they'll look at me as if I've said something wrong, but explain to us why salt is so important to add to your nutrition, especially when you are limiting carbohydrates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, Rob Wolf uh, could give a much better answer to this than, than myself. He, he um, has talked a lot about salt and created a company called Element, which is an electrolyte supplement. Um, but salt is essential for so many bodily processes. Um, it can improve cognition. Um, it can, and, and being salt deficient has a lot of negative health outcomes. Um, it, it, it can hurt your immune system when you don't have enough salt, lowers your energy, messes with your appetite signaling, hurts your digestion, um, inhibits your ability to recover, to sleep, um, to 
to breathe. All, all these things are associated with low salt. Uh, so having having proper amount of salt in your diet is really essential. Um, and if you look at the curves of mortality with salt consumption, actually it's a it's a U-shaped curve. Um, so having too little salt actually has much higher mortality risk and um, worse effect on even things like blood pressure, things that people usually think you want low salt for. It's worse when you have low salt than when you have um, really high salt. And, and usually salt is a very self-regulating mechanism in the body as well. If you're eating too, way too much salt, if you have healthy kidneys, um, you'll just be forced to drink a lot of water and your kidneys will actually express the salt. And I actually went through a period of time on carnivore where I was eating 40 grams of sodium a day. That's like 80 grams of salt. It's a lot of salt. Um, and uh, I was chugging water all day long and I was peeing all day long and all night long. And it wasn't very pleasant, but nothing bad happened. Um, and uh, salt is the most important macronutrient. When uh, your body doesn't have enough salt, um, it, it will leach calcium and, and other electrolytes from your bones to get more salt. So it can be it can hurt your bone density in that way. Um, but uh, your, your body can, can usually make up for a lack of potassium or magnesium more easily, but salt, it really can't. So salt is the most important electrolyte. Um, so I'd say people salt your food, salt to taste, enjoy your salt, it's important for you. Uh, but if you find that you're just constantly eating more and more food and you're putting mounds of salt on your food, you might be eating too much and it might be overstimulating your appetite and then causing you to drink too much. And then you get hungry for more salt and you enter this vicious cycle like I did. Uh, so you need to be careful with it. But in general, most people would be best off just salting their food to taste and making sure they get enough salt. Yeah, I think it comes more to the fore when people change from a high carb diet to a low carb diet, because a lot of foods, especially high carbohydrate processed foods, um, have a lot of sodium in them anyway. And you don't realize how much sodium you're taking out of your diet if you're taking a lot of carbohydrates out of your diet as well. And I like the way you say that your body has its own way of finding homeostasis in a way. So it gets um, minerals and, and vitamins that it wants. It tries its best to get them wherever it can get them from, whether that's in your own bones or in your own organs, it'll try its best to get them. And that's not what we want to do. We want to make sure you have sufficient vitamins and minerals from your nutrition so your body doesn't have to struggle away and try and eat itself to get those vitamins and minerals. So just take heed that for everybody who's trying to do it. Now, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it today. That's been a great chat. I have one last question for you and uh, perhaps I should have run this by you first, but I like to get everybody's snapper answer on it. So no worries. If there's one thing then that people listening now think, okay, perhaps you two guys have inspired me. Perhaps I'm going to try something tomorrow. What's the first thing I can do to help me on my path from a higher carb, perhaps processed food diet to this more nutrient dense animal produce style? Yeah, I'd say just take it one step at, well, cheers to you for being open to trying it and listening to this podcast. Thank you for everyone listening. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, just, just be open to experimentation and try things on yourself and um, find something you can stick to. So you don't have to go 100% strict carnivore, cut out all plant foods, cut out all junk food, everything. Um, just make one step that you think you can adhere to for a longer period of time and commit to it. 
and and see what results you honestly get for yourself. So that if that's, you know, I'm not going to have a tall glass of orange juice at breakfast anymore, then that that might be it for you. Or if it's I'm going to eat carnivore five days a week and keto low carb two days a week, that's that's fine too. Whatever you can commit to, try a small step and these small changes are so much more powerful than trying to completely overhaul your diet. Because even if you feel super motivated to completely overhaul your diet, um, it doesn't matter how motivated you are. As soon as you switch back, all that progress, uh, you, you, you lost it versus if you make small changes and you keep improving, that all compounds. So find something that's too easy to stick to and just just take that first step and do it for weeks or months and then um and then worry about taking the next step make it make it too easy to fail brilliant absolute great answer (laughs) (laughs) so thank you very much for your time today scott let's tell everybody where they can follow along with you and uh, have a look at your own podcast where can they find it yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Matthew. It's been a pleasure. Um, so my podcast is Carnivore Cast. You can search it on your favorite podcast player. I'm also on YouTube um, and I'm on social media platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, shoot me a message, shoot me a DM. I love to hear from people, love questions and, and hearing success stories. They make my day. Um, so please feel free to reach out and thanks again for having me. Thank you, Scott. That was great to talk to Scott. Go give his podcast a listen. He has some great guests on there with him. Remember to rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed listening and follow along with us. Follow all the content we put out there on our Facebook group, Human Nutrition and Lifestyle, or follow us on Instagram at Human Nutrition Lifestyle. Also have a look at the services available on our website, humannutritionlifestyle.com and keep an eye out for more exciting products and things to come in our shop. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be happy. See you next time.